is ready to pray through song together this morning. Amen. Let's do it. If you would like to go ahead and stand, go ahead and do that. And we are excited uh, to pray this morning that the Lord would just awaken our eyes to how he wants to move and build his kingdom here on this earth. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. Cause we are your church, and we need your power.
going through my basement this week, I found these sermon notes from 1999. Um, <laughs> and amidst my notes that I wrote about my dad falling asleep and it being cold in the sanctuary, um, it said at the bottom here, revival is the desire to be like Christ. Let's ask God to give us his kind of renewal. That was a beautiful prayer that I wanted to share. And I want to pray, or I want to read to you from James chapter four this morning. And again, it's kind of not so comfortable, feel good, but I think it's important. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I don't think that, that laughter and joy are bad. Those are obviously from the Lord and he is good to give us those good gifts. But something about the humble state of people coming to the Lord with open hands and open hearts and minds to say, we want your kind of renewal, God. We are open and willing to do and be and go wherever you want us to go. And that's my prayer for myself, for my family, for my church. And I pray that it's your prayer too as we continue singing our prayer, this one last song. Um, let's just continue in a humble state before the Lord to be changed by Him. Lord, I come
as you know, we, we pray these prayers together in the Book of Common Prayer, but this morning, I didn't know a word. And not that I represent all of you, but I, I questioned how many people would know this word, and so I just thought I would Google the word before we pray together so that we know what we're praying about, right? And I even had to ask Mara, how do you say this word? Paschal, 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 we decided, Paschal Mystery. The Paschal Mystery is the passion, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ by which he heals us from sin and enables us to become children of God. So this is the word that we're praying together. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal Mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Thank you for the worship, and uh, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Uh, we're going to be spending our time this week in Matthew chapter 5, which you probably uh, know enough about the Scriptures to know that that's the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew is made up of 5, 6, and 7, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And uh, it's three, uh, three long chapters. You think my sermons are long. Whoa, listen to Jesus. <laughs> So you got three long sermons. Matthew uh, puts them all together. Luke, if you go to his gospel, he takes the Sermon on the Mount and spreads it out all over the place. Jesus preached a little of it here and a sermon over here, a sermon over there, and spread it all over the place. But Matthew pulls it all together and zeroes it in on this, this one message, makes it systematic, and lays it out for us in these three chapters. And it's phenomenal. Uh, the interesting thing is that he begins the Sermon on the Mount with this premise and if you do not get the premise, then you don't understand the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't get the premise, then you'll get off, you'll misinterpret, you'll uh, think it's a bunch of new rules, uh, you'll, you'll do whatever you do. you got to get the premise, in other words, and see everything in the Sermon on the Mount through this premise. So this premise is really, really important. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We will then begin to move into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll stay in chapter 5, but we're going to move into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 tonight, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So, hey, you can study it ahead, use it in your devotions if you want to this week, and hey, God may speak to you, say something really important to you. You can come and share it with me. I'll preach it across the country. People will think I'm great. So that's the plan. So uh, I encourage you to uh, work on this with me as we get into the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, I started studying the book of Matthew back in 1980. I just came out of the diapers. Uh, in 1980, uh, I began to look at the, at, at, the, at the book of Matthew. And I started in chapter 9. And the only reason I started in chapter 9 was I didn't want to get into the Sermon on the Mount. Because I knew that the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, if you fall into it, you'll never get out. <laughs> you just never get out. Uh, so I, wanted, I didn't want to do that at that time, so I eliminated it. But hey, now 
uh, I've, I've worked through from chapter 9 through the book of Matthew and finished the book of Matthew, came back to chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and whoa, here I am. Uh, so this is a hole. Once you get in, you can't get out. But I'm about to die, so what does, difference does it make now at this point? So I'm really into the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, it is, it is, it is amazing. There's something so radical about the Sermon on the Mount. And if you go out of here that's shaking your head, I'm shaking my head with you. Because what he has is so off the wall. What he has to say is so contrary to our culture, our society. What he has to say is just so absolutely mind-boggling that you, you think in terms of, nah, that's, no, I can't, uh, well, it just is absolutely radical. I want you to look with me. The premise for the Sermon on the Mount is given to us in the Beatitudes. And you know the Beatitudes, come on. Uh, and I suppose the most foolish thing in the world is for a guy like me to stand up before a congregation like you and say, let me take the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest man that ever lived, and I'll explain it to you. <laughs> it's a little ridiculous. But then Paul calls preaching foolishness. So here we are participating in this foolish act of trying to investigate the Sermon on the Mount. Wow. Look with me at verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and, he was, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, here it comes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hungry who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now there are eight of these things. They are not bumper stickers. They are not proverbs. They're not the kind of thing that you take one of the Beatitudes and stick it over here and say, oh, nice, concise little statement for life guidance. It's not that way. They build one on the other. He's saying something systematically and bringing us into a conclusion. And it's very interesting that the first Beatitude begins with the, begins with the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the last Beatitude, verse 10, ends on, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's the only two times he mentions it in the Beatitudes. So these become the bookends, this idea of the kingdom of heaven somehow becomes the bookends in which all the material is held together. It's the bread quality of the sandwich of the... Uh, of the Beatitudes that holds it all together that makes it make sense so you can get a bite out of it. So basically what he's presenting to us is this, this stable of the kingdom of heaven. But that's Matthew's book. He focuses on the kingdom. He's writing to the Jews. He wants to convince them that Jesus is the king of the kingdom and that, uh, that, that he is the one who's come, the Messiah, that they should believe in him. So he presents all of this right off the bat, giving the phenomenal premise of the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. 
Now, when you look at the Beatitudes, uh, you realize that uh, they are startling in themselves. Uh, let me take you to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you would. Go, go down to verse 7, or chapter 7. And if you go to chapter 7, uh, the last verse of chapter 7 gives the climax of the Sermon on the Mount, which tells you how radical his presentation is. In verse 28 of chapter 7, he says, And so it was that when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. The word astonished, the Greek word astonished is expleso, and it literally means knocked out of their senses. <sighs> Haven't you seen some people you'd like to do that to, <laughs> if they had any? Uh, wow, knocked out of their senses. So when Jesus got done with this, this phenomenal presentation, the people were just, their mouth was open. Can you see them? Their mouth was open. Their chin was on their chest. They were, their eyes were bugged out. They were, wow, nobody's ever had the guts to say anything like this. We've never heard anything like this in our entire lives. What, what, what? this is off the wall. Now, what is it about the Sermon on the Mount that's off the wall? What is it that's so far-fetched? What is it though? nah, that can't be. What is that quality? Well, he starts on it and actually hands it to us in the Beatitudes. It's the idea, folks, that our whole world system is set up on a simple basis. All religions, all world religions, everywhere you go, in your job, in the school, everywhere you go, here's the system. I'm here, here's where I want to go. This is my goal. This is what I want to achieve. I don't know what that is for you. Here I am, what is this for you? Purity, holiness, heaven, making it to heaven, being a good father, being a good mother, whatever this is, whatever you choose. Well, you're here, here's where you want to go. How are you going to get there? Well, that's easy. You're going to work on it. Come on, get your act together. Come on, put one step in front of the other. Come on, think it through. Come on, discipline yourself. Good night, come to church on time. What's your problem? <laughs> See, it's that kind of deal. And you discipline yourself, and you work on it, and you, and you, you improve, and, and mature. Yeah, and you teach your kids. And, <laughs> and we test you. See, it's the school system. We test you at the end. How you doing? Oh, you're about right here. Now, by this, I, hey, I love that system. Uh, I was raised on that system. The church has been set up on that system in my life where I was raised. That, that was the system. Hey, that's the system. And I, and I love that system. The reason I love that system is because by this time in my life, I'm... About right here. I'm not where I ought to be. I know, I know, I know. But hey, I'm working on it. Hey, am I better than I was? God's not done with me yet. Was here, now I'm here. And the nice thing about being here is I can look down, and you can do that well with a nose like mine. I can look down my nose at others and say, well, I'm from, I come from uh, Tennessee. We say, well, bless their little hearts. You can judge. See, we measure ourselves by ourselves because that's this system. See, I compare myself to, 
I compare myself to, do you know how many times I go to church compared to what you go to church? Oh, I am so spiritual, I can hardly stand myself. <laughs> oh, I'm really good. See, I love this system. Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm doing away with this system. And what every, get this, what everybody else requires from you, and you have to earn merit and get, I'm going to give to you. Well, that's not fair. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> See how radical this is? Not fair. Man, I've disciplined myself and went to church and, and hey, and the thief on the cross gets in and he didn't go to church at all. That's not fair. I know. All the sermons I've endured, all the money I've given, I should get. So Jesus comes in, this, in, the, in the Beatitudes and whacks you on the back. Whoa. Blessed. That's the word blessed. By the way, there is no R. Blessed R. The word R isn't there. We couldn't stand it. We had to have a verb, so we put one in there. But the idea of blessed is just a whack on the back. It's congratulations. Woo! You've made it. Congratulations. Woo! You're in. Congratulations. You've arrived. Congratulations. It's all yours. Congratulations. Now, why would Jesus, why would Jesus expect, why would Jesus say he's going to give it to us? Because, folks, what he's proposing in the Sermon on the Mount is so absolutely radical, so absolutely off the wall, so absolutely startling that you could never achieve it regardless of how disciplined you are. That there was no way you could any, under any means that what God has, if you could get a hold of this, what God has dreamed for your life, the destiny that God has for you, the dream he has for your character, the wonder he has for your deep inner soul, what he wants for your family is so far beyond anything that you, that he has to give it to you. Because you could never get it otherwise. There would be no chance at all of you ever getting it otherwise. So he comes along and whacks you on the back and says, oh, congratulations. What everybody else makes you, I'm going to give to you. Now you say, well, you know, maybe I could wrap my mind around that and I could, hey, I could, yeah, that would be nice. Just come on, give it to me. <laughs> But there's a catch. Oh, brother. Yeah? And you need to know, there, there's, there's some fine print. And you need to know about the fine print. Now, the fine print is this. The word blessed is the word mercurios. And there's another Greek word that's used for blessed as well, that's translated blessed. Eulogios. Paul uses it in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed Eulogos, us with all spiritual blessings, eulogos, in the heavenly places in Christ. Uses it three times, eulogos. Eulogos is the eulogy, where we get our word eulogy. 
say something nice about the dead guy? Never before. That's interesting. It's what we do when we say, hey, somebody bless the food before we eat it. Eulogos, say something good. That's not this word. This word blessed is mercurios. And the interesting thing about mercurios, again, is it's a whack on the back and this congratulations thing, but the undercurrent of it is suffering. That the word bespeaks the idea that somehow, someway, when God gives it to you, when God sticks his fingers in the middle of your life, when God literally gets in and begins to mess with the things that tinkers with the things that are going on in your life, when he begins to do that, you can count on suffering. So see, don't be too quick to say, ah, oh, bring it on, yeah, yeah, whoa. Let me give you an example. Mary. Well, isn't she great? Yeah, the mother of the Son of God. Wow. In fact, the Bible calls her blessed. The angel shows up and says, blessed are you among women. Mercurios. Wow, Mary. Woo. God is going to give you something that you couldn't merit, you couldn't deserve. You couldn't. He's just going to and give it. And it's going to be, whoa, and you can't. No, I'm just going to hand it to you. And you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. Isn't she so fortunate? Isn't she so blessed? Isn't she so... Yeah, you tell her that while all of her friends make fun of her. You tell her that when her parents are saying, whoa, what have you done, Mary? You tell her that when Joseph looks at her with doubt in his mind, saying, what on earth have you been? What did you? Tell her that as she's on the back of a mule on her way to Egypt land in the middle of the night, exiled because some king is out to kill them all. She's blessed. See, don't you think that's interesting? That at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he peeks this thing out, the Beatitudes, the end of the Beatitudes. He peeks this thing out is with, blessed are you when you are persecuted. That Christianity, somehow this, this what God wants to give you, is not all wrapped up in, wow, make me feel good. Woo, all my kids have straight teeth. That's beautiful. See, it isn't somehow it's way beyond that. Somehow it's not, hey, all my problems are solved. Money through the mail. Thank you, Jesus. See, all, suddenly all of that, suddenly this is sleeves rolled up in the middle of something so big. It's a flip by jail scene with a bleeding back, hands in the stock, bleeding at midnight, singing. Why? Because we're just so blessed. Well, Manly, if that happened to me, what, what would I do in the midst of trouble? Well, see, I, I'd have to quit my griping, my complaining, and my belly aching, and And I'm really good at that. <laughs> and why would I have to have a smile on my face? And why would I have to have joy in my heart? And 
Why would depression be pushed aside? And why would discouragement somehow disappear in my life? Well, because, whoo, congratulations, you got it. Congratulations, you've arrived. Congratulations, Every, what everybody else requires you to earn and merit. I'm going to give to you. That's phenomenal, isn't it? That, that, that's, so every one of these Beatitudes has this idea of, whoa, congratulations. Because God is going to stick his fingers in the middle of your life and literally bring about, hey, it'll cost you, I got that, but oh, it'll be great. You want in? Now, the premise of the Sermon on the Mount, he starts right off. And I just want to lay this out for you. The first beatitude, and again, you know it so well. Blessed are the poor. Now, come on. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Blessed are the poor. See, nobody thinks that way. See, you don't go up to the homeless man. You know, he's along the side of the road. Yeah, got the sign, I'm homeless. You get out of your car, go over, whack him on the back. You're so fortunate, blessed of God. Wish I was like you are. Think I'll burn my house down. Come on. See, nobody thinks like that. In fact, I go to your house, and I come through the front door, and I look at your kitchen, and I look at, and I say, wow, this is beautiful. Why? This is wonderful. And you lean back and say, yeah, God has blessed us. Well, how do you know? Well, and can you imagine a guy standing up before a multitude or sitting down before his disciples and looking him in the eye and say, blessed are the poor. See, there's something wrong here. Now, you'll immediately note it doesn't have anything to do with finances, so I don't know why I brought that up. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, what's that all about? I don't know what you want to call it. You can call it anything. I'm not going to argue with you over terms. I don't give a rip about that. But what I know is that what he's dealing with is the inner core of your life. Now, if you want to call that heart, if you want to call that spirit, if you want to call that your soul, if you want to, whatever, whatever makes you tick, whatever, whatever produces you, whatever is inside of you that literally makes you who you are, whatever is in the very core of your life that literally produces your attitude, produces the motivation of your life, brings about the very personality Take, uh, uh, traits of your being, whatever, whatever. See, if I take a knife and I slice you down the middle and I go to the inner core of your being, what is what that right there? That, that's what he's talking about, that right there. Not talking about the movement of the hand, the talents, the abilities that I can do. I can, we're, we're talking about right here what makes you the person you are. Attitude, motive, controls you. That inner heart being, that 
inner spirit. He said, that's what we're talking about. Again, if I take a knife and slice you down the middle and go to the core of what produces everything in your life, that's what he's dealing with. And he says, oh, this is so radical. Don't get upset. He says, when I go to the core of your life, the inner spirit of your being, you know what I find there? Absolutely nothing. You are poor there. The word poor here, interesting Greek word, because it means absolutely no resource at all. Now, there's another word for poor that relates to, for instance, the uh, widow who had two mites. She was poor, only had two coins. But she had two coins, so she had something. This poor is absolutely nothing. This poor is no resource. This poor is no coins. This poor is, is, is a picture of begging poor. It's, it's, it's the picture of crouching down, covering your face because you don't want anybody to know who you are. Extend your hand. If you don't help me, I won't make it another day. It's absolutely stripped down. It's the strongest word for poverty. And can you imagine Jesus whacking you on the back saying, Woo, congratulations. Why? why? Why are you congratulating me? Because you've arrived. I have, yeah. You're absolutely helpless. Good night. Drug myself out of bed to come to church at 9 o'clock in the morning to hear a little encouraging word. And somebody gets up there and beats me over the head and says, I'm worthless, helpless. Told you it's radical. Absolutely helpless. And of course, if you're like I am, my first reaction to that is, oh, come on, I'm not helpless. There's lots of things I can do. But he's not talking about that. In fact, folks, think about this. I found out that's a, uh, a Band-Aid. Uh, when I was coming up through the ranks, we... Uh, we talked about inferiority complex. It was called inferiority complex. Didn't want our kids to have inferiority complex. Uh, but then what happened was we found out it wasn't a complex. It was, we, were actually, we actually were inferior. <laughs> so we changed the language to low self-esteem. James Dobson. So you don't want your kid to have low self-esteem. No. So the minute he's born, you put a ball glove in his hand. You've got to teach him to do one thing really good. Because if he can do one thing really well, whoa, he'll have self-esteem. He'll have value. He'll identify. Hey, you buy him a horn. See, you beat him to half to death to do his lessons so he'll make A's. So he'll... You brag on him. You're good looking. Why? Because you want him to have value. And he'll at least have one thing in his life. But folks, I've discovered what Jesus is saying. That's a Band-Aid. Think this through. That's a Band-Aid. That's a cover-up. See, I can take this ball bat, man, and I can hit this ball. And it goes over the fence, a home run, and I can collect a million-dollar contract. Woo! And move to Colorado. But I can't get along with my wife. I can't handle my body drives. 
got depression. Because, folks, I'm poor, helpless. And all this other stuff, I give myself to it to cover. Do, do you see that? So what, what does he want me to do if I'm absolutely poor in spirit? He says, oh, here's, here's what you need to do. He says, and they moves to verse 2, that is verse 4, which is the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. I want you to take that poverty, that helplessness. Get this. I want you to take that helplessness, and I want you to go after it. I want you to look it square in the eye, and I want you to embrace it like you would embrace the loss of your closest loved one. Your closest loved one has just died. Mourning just overtakes you. You just sit and blubber. Your emotions are out of control. You, that, 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 that whole grief thing just embraces you and you embrace it and you, you live in the morning. He said, that's the way I want you to do with this helplessness. I want you to take your helplessness and I want you to embrace that thing and I want it to embrace you until your whole life is engulfed in helplessness, until you recognize it, until you embrace it, until it embraces you. I want you to live within the boundaries of your helplessness. And if you will live within the boundaries of your helplessness, do you know what will happen? You shall be comforted. And you know what the word for comfort is? Paraclete. Which is our word for Holy Spirit. So if I will embrace my helplessness, you know what will happen? He will come. Oh, this is so awesome. He will come. You got to get a hold of this. He will come in the amazingness of his resource and literally merge. Now, Language is really tough. And again, I don't know what words to use for you. But I want to describe this. He's going to merge with me. My helplessness, his overwhelming resource, my nature, his nature, who I am, who he is, is literally going to come together. And in a merger, we become this new thing I can never be this on my own. He has decided not to be this on his own. But together we become this new thing. And you know what this new thing is called? Kingdom. Now I want you to revamp your thought process. Come on. Here I am. Here he is. And we come together and we become a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And it's not me and him. It's us. It's not he touched me. Thank you, Bill Gaither. We're not talking about that. It's not a touch from God. This is not, uh, well, he forgave me of my sins. We're not talking about that. He does do that, and he does touch you. It's not as Jesus passed by. We're not talking about passing by. We're not, well, I go down to church to, vi to visit, and we're not talking about that. We're talking about an actual person called God literally invading the very pores of my skin and going to the depth of my inner 
core being and literally merging with me in my helplessness until he and I literally form this new person and I'm not the person I was. We even in evangelical language call it born again. You know what C.S. Lewis wrote? He said, this is so radical that it's as radical as a, as a stone statue becoming a living person. Well, I, w I was raised in the church. I've always been Christian. No, hey, whoa. Well, listen, I've, I've turned over a new, new life and, and I'm doing a lot better and I'm keeping the rules of the church now. now come on, come on. Well, listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm embracing the belief system of the church and, the, and, and I believe in Jesus. Come on, we're talking about an invasion of your life with the actual person of God until you and him begin to emerge. I'm, he infiltrates, welds himself to you. You and him become so one that you act as one, you move as one, you... Oxygen, you breathe it. Hydrogen, I have no idea what you do with it. But oxygen and hydrogen, when they get together, you drink it. It's called water. Well, oxygen isn't water, I know. Hydrogen isn't water, I know. But the new creature. <laughs> That's Christianity, folks. Wow. That's what he wants to give me. And if I will embrace my helplessness, if I will embrace my helplessness, if I will live within the... Don't ever get cocky. Don't ever like, I can handle this. Don't ever... Don't ever act on your own. Don't ever, well, it's my life. Don't ever, well, it's not fair. I have a right. No, you don't. Absolute helplessness and the wonder of his presence literally coming. Well, what's the one single thing that could stand in the way of my having the very essence of the life of God merging with me? I won't embrace my helplessness. All my life, I've been taught not to. Stand up for yourself, boy. When they hit you, hit them back, man. Hey, when they take your parka spot, flatten their tires. See, you got your rights. Don't let them get by. Be a man. And I can do that because I'm manly. <laughs> so all my life I've been taught that. Now you want me to get on my face before God and say, life is bigger than I am. I got problems I don't have a clue what to do with. I got body drives I can't control. The world is out in total chaos. I'm helpless. I don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know how to handle the... My job is 
and to let him come and embrace me. And we call that new person the kingdom. He's the king. I'm the dumb. <laughs> wow. Now, everything in the Sermon on the Mount, folks, comes back to that, what I just told you. That's the premise. If you don't see the premise... None of this makes sense. In chapter 7, he's going to say, do not worry. So we can't worry. Okay, we Nazarenes, we don't worry. We're just concerned. How can you not worry? Everybody worries. In verse 21, he's going to say, don't get angry. The old timer said, don't murder. I tell you, don't get angry. What? Everybody gets upset. Everybody has a bad day. Everybody has things that go wrong. Everybody. I just get mad thinking about not getting mad. See, that's impossible. I know. The whole Sermon on the Mount is an impossible thing. It can't be lived. I know. Why? You're proving his point. You're helpless. He's going to go on in chapter 5 and say, don't lust. Don't look at women. Come on. How are you not going to look at women? They're everywhere. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I know. Nobody can live up to that. I know. You just proved his point. You're helpless. So here's a standard that you couldn't... Why? You're helpless. If you will embrace that, do you think there's a chance if a guy would embrace his helplessness? I'm talking about really embrace his helplessness. Not, well, I got a little problem. If you want to help me with it, it'd be okay, Jesus. I'm not talking that. I'm talking about at the core of your life, literally saying, embrace me, God, and literally embrace that helplessness and let him come in the fullness and literally merge with you. And if you actually had Jesus living in your flesh and you were operating as one, thinking as one, you had his mind, you had his heart, you thought like he thought. Kingdom. Sermon on the Mount. I got to have this, Jesus. <laughs> I got to have this. I haven't described it very well, God, but whatever you're saying in this passage, I got to have. I got stuff going on in my life, God, that wasn't even my fault. I, I, There are complications taking place that, I, I, that are out of control that I, I don't. I, what am I supposed to do? I want to embrace my helplessness. I want to look you in the eye today. And tell you, oh, let my helplessness embrace me. I want to embrace my helplessness. I want to live in the awareness, the constant awareness of the poorness of my spirit, that I am totally inadequate for the life that you have destined me for, and that I've only got one chance. You, would you come 
Would you mesh? Would you infiltrate? Would you weld? Would you fuse? Would you, would you, would you merge? Would you become one with me? Could I be filled with you? Jesus, I'm tired of serving you. I'm worn out with it. Could you come and serve through me? I'm tired, God, of doing my best. I'm sick of it. My best is so puny because I'm so helpless. I'm tired of doing my best. Would you come and do your best in me? I'm tired of trying and never quite making that, never quite matching, never quite meeting up. I'm, I'm tired of trying. Could you come and do what I can't do? Heads are bowed. Hey, no pressure. It's not a finger in your face. This is not a bawling out. This is, folks, do you, do you know what we have the possibility of? Oh, do you know what Jesus has literally provided for us? You, do you understand what could be? And yeah, we have an altar here. And what's that all about? It is a posture of helplessness. It is a posture that says, oh, life is bigger than I am. It is the posture of embracing the helpless core of my life. Now, don't go too big with this. And just while we're bowed, think this through. Would you just take one area, one thing, probably not your fault, maybe relationships, may have to do with your kids, grandkids, whatever. One thing in your life that's just beating you to death. It's beyond you. You cannot solve it. You don't know what to do. It, it, again, may not even have been your fault. Hey, you didn't cause it. It wasn't, hey, whatever. Just, would you just take one thing that you're absolutely helpless in and would you bow at his feet and would you release that to him and let him fill? Let him merge with you in that area. Would you take one habit you can't get over, one addiction you can't, and would you just give it to him? Just, I'm helpless. Would you let him flood you? Would you embrace your helplessness, merge with him in that, just that one area and see what he does? So our altar's open. Again, no pressure. Just, wow. Who, who wouldn't want, who, who wouldn't want to, If this is true, who wouldn't want in? So, hey, I'm going to kneel, man. I'm going to kneel and embrace the helplessness. You, you want to join me? We're, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that your word is still alive and, and still speaks to us. We've heard through your evangelist. And he's, on, um, he's shown us how radical your call is. 
it's not a call for simple achievement, but it's a call to brokenness, poverty, humility. And through these avenues, Lord, you embrace us and you change us. Lord, we're not satisfied with going through the motions. We're not satisfied with just religion. But Lord, we want you. In a world that seems to be completely chaotic, out of control, you invite your people to humble themselves, to be broken before you and allow your Holy Spirit to fill us completely, fully, and change who we are. Lord, we're thankful for the message. We're thankful for the call. And Lord, we're thankful for the God who answers that message, that fills us when we ask, that when we say we can't, you say you can. And so Lord, right now, as a as pastor, I confess I can't, but I know that you can. And so, Lord, I submit myself to you fully, knowing that you love me. And, Lord, it's not what you want from me. It's what you want for me. You want to fill me with your spirit. You want to use me in a greater way. And, Lord, you want to use this church in the same way. You want us to be a church that says it's not what we can do. It's what you can do through us. So, Lord, fill us once again. Use us in a way that's dynamic in our community so people can see you. People are hungry for you, Lord. Help us to be that church, that community, those believers that fully embrace our brokenness and embracing our brokenness receive you. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, we've had a short time of prayer. We've been at altars. We've been in chairs. We've been praying. And Lord, the rubber's going to hit the road when we hit those doors. How will we live this? Well, will this be an emotional thing that we do in the moment, Lord? Or, or will we continue to, um, to repeat and continue to understand that, that we cannot do this on our own? Lord, as we encounter a situation where we want to get angry or we encounter a situation where we don't want to give or we don't want to serve or we don't want to forgive, may, may we once again pray this prayer. I can't, but you can. Help us, Lord, to stay in this moment, not just in this place, but in our community. Now, Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks. You're good. You're good all the time. And we trust you with our lives. Help us now, Lord, as we move from this place to move in your spirit, to allow you to fill us and use us in a greater measure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, folks.